Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Lanides, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for today's show. On the episode today, we are talking with Hinato Babalu Sobral, the former Strikeforce light heavyweight champion. This is an interview that I have been looking forward to publishing for quite some time. It's very, very open and honest. We talk a lot about Babalu's career, of course, his early MMA career facing Fedor Emelianenko uh, early on in his career, getting into the UFC and then getting cut from the UFC because of his actions in the infamous fight with David Heath where he had decided that he was going to hold on to the choke too long to teach his opponent a lesson. So we, we delve into that. Then we talk about getting into strike force, taking on Bobby Southworth for the title. And, and then, of course, what he's up to today. And, and sadly, he's dealing with a lot of physical issues. Uh, he's lost sight in one of his eyes. He's got a lot of knee issues. Uh, but he, he, you know, in spite of all that, he's got a positive attitude. And he's, like I said, very open and honest. So it's a very intriguing discussion. So with that, without further ado... Let's get to it. All right. On the line with us, we have UFC Bellator vet and as well as former Strikeforce light heavyweight champion, Hanato Babalu Sobral. Babalu, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Is it good to, to talk to all the fans from Strikeforce? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we it's obviously you were a champion in the promotion, as we just said. So wanted to talk to you. But let's talk about your, your formative years a little bit. So you were... Uh, you know, obviously, you're you are Brazilian. Your Brazilian fighters are, of course, main only for their uh, their BJJ skills. But but you were really you were a champion kickboxer and wrestler before you got into MMA. So this seemed to really set you up early on. Obviously, very strong BJJ as well. But this seemed to really set you up to be well rounded. You won 16 of your first 17 fights. The only loss you had there was by decision to Dan Henderson, which is you know obviously nobody to to be ashamed to have a loss from. But uh, how much of an advantage did you feel like your well-rounded background uh, gave you as far as you, when you transitioned into MMA solely? Well, my jiu-jitsu itself wasn't that great when I transitioned to MMA. Honestly, I knew wrestling and, and Muay Thai. And I knew I was training jiu-jitsu, but uh, I was just for kind of block jiu-jitsu. I wasn't learning jiu-jitsu too. <laughs> To understand jiu-jitsu, I was learning jiu-jitsu just for you know, to strike or to defend from jiu-jitsu. So my jiu-jitsu wasn't that great. But later on, after I moved to Gracie Barra and and put myself more into jiu-jitsu, I learned more and it gave me good advantage. And by the time I was in the beginning of my, but but before that, before that. When I said that I was learning jiu-jitsu to block jiu-jitsu, I don't know if you remember. I was a student of Marco Ruiz, because of from Ruiz Valetuno. Of course, yeah. You, early UFC yeah. legend, yeah. Yes. So, Mark, Mark, Marco Ruiz had a philosophy. Um, if you punch in, if you punch and kick, I take you down and submit you. If you, you try to take me down and try to submit me, I punch and kick you. Do you remember that? Mm, no, I no, I don't, but that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, I don't know, back in the day, I mean, you kind of have to really go back. It's a little bit, change, a little bit different the history that you have right now. 
I don't know if you can see from the old time perspective, but let me try to bring you back before okay. our style against style. And Marco, who was the first one to hybrid the, the styles? He wasn't, he was the first one to, to not put the, the art ahead of the fighter. He was the one to, he always have the philosophy for us to be an open mind to learn everything. And that was pretty much what we did. And we have a very successful campaign on the beginning because this philosophy. And I always navigate from different martial arts to try to understand and learn from different aspects so I can put inside the MMA. On the opposite time, people was in the back of the day trying to prove the martial arts. They're better than the others. Right. Do you understand the time yeah. to, try, to try to, I'm trying to explain more the, the perspective of old times. So you yeah, no, 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 I, I get, so you're essentially like the Gracie's, you know, they say that the UFC was supposed to be like a big commercial for Gracie jiu-jitsu. I mean, they didn't have any, you know, desire to, you know, Hoist wasn't out there trying to learn kickboxing and all that stuff. Their thing was our version of jiu-jitsu is the best fighting art. And what you're saying is that Marco was, putting fighting ahead of the, the quote-unquote art of jiu-jitsu and saying, no, exactly. we're, we're about or trying any, to win fights. Or any type of martial arts, or any type of martial arts. He put, he put the fight itself in the head of any martial arts. He wasn't, he, he, he taught us that the, we need to learn different disciplines to be a, the ultimate fighter itself. Did I explain myself well? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. No, that, that totally makes sense. All right, so that's... That's why you succeed. And more people, I think, no, understood that after a while and did the same same road, same highway. No, took the same highway. People from strike and start learning jiu-jitsu, from jiu-jitsu start learning strike. Wrestlers start learning jiu-jitsu. They later on, wrestlers start learning strike. And then the MMA fighters was created. That's pretty much what it is, what happened in the past. Yeah. I come from the old time. I mean, probably the first, one of the first MMA fighters <laughs> before I wasn't, I wasn't a style itself. I didn't have any, defending any style myself. Hmm. Okay. But that makes sense. All right. So, well, you can see why you, why you did so well, especially early on. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, you fought Fedor Emelianenko in your eighth fight. You lost by decision. What did you think of him? What number was the fight? It was your eighth. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. It was his eighth fight. It was his eighth fight. Yeah. You'd already been fighting yeah. longer than that. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, but what, what did you think of him as a fighter at that point? Did you see, you know, at that point, all right, this guy is going to be something special or, or, or well, did you have a different opinion? Is that other thing too? <laughs> that, um, how can I say? We didn't have so much internet in the past. So we can really research about people. We can really research about fighters. We just to have their names, their, their name, the organization gives to me. That's the guy they want to fight. And maybe, maybe if I really hunt for a video, a VHS tape, <laughs> I can try to find them. We, we, probably, we probably have some listeners that don't even fight. know what a VHS tape is. <laughs> yeah, so, 
So VGS tape is a video cassette tape. So if people doesn't know what it is. And by the time, that's the only access that I have with other fighters. You know, here and there. Then I have I have one or two fight of his match before. And um and also because that, you know, we didn't really expect, didn't really see too much what you're going to see. We heard kind of pretend you know this guy we assume that the guy is going to do this or that or the style of the fight in the same region for russians fighting that way americans fight that way japanese fight that kind of had a, a kind of just um a really hint how the fight's going to be so <laughs> when he can step inside and when i look into the cross the corner i never saw him before i saw i saw in the tapes two tapes when he fought against Ricardo Rona. And Ricardo Rona, was, he did very well in the fight. Mm-hmm. And when he fought Kosaka, Kosaka. Right, yeah. Kosaka yep. won the fight by... It was a he, cut. Yeah, he got, yeah, he got a TKO win because of a cut. Yeah. yeah. So that's the fight that I had on my hands. And then when they were there, I'm pretty confident. And But when, I, when the guy started striking, when the first clinch... I saw the guys was something. I was, I was gonna have a lot of trouble in the fight. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you're not alone in that, obviously. So, no. <laughs> and obviously, of, you're you're a, you're a more natural light heavyweight too. So he was. You yeah, know, that's guy. right. I was ahead. I was fighting the heavyweight at that time. Um, yeah. That time, I think the weight class was ninety kilos and above nine kilos. It wasn't. The weight classes they're having today all pretty. You didn't have in the past. Was so if you want to be a fighter, or you feel above ninety, or if you're under ninety, that that was really after because before no weight class. No, I had some match that I had fought with really little guys and really big guys. So. Um, weight class is a privilege though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you end up having, you know, a lot of, like we said, a lot of success early on. You have a 10 fight run in the UFC over two different stints. You beat guys like Maurice Smith, who was a former UFC heavyweight champion. You beat future middleweight title challenger, Chael Sonnen. You also got guys like Jeremy Horn and Shogun Hua, uh, in other promotions. I think Daniel Horn fought for the title as well. I said not wrong for the UFC title. Yes, he did. You're right. Yes, he did. So you, you beat some really big names um, during that time. And you know, you end up uh, getting a light heavyweight title fight against the Iceman, Chuck Liddell. That doesn't go go your way, but obviously a very viable contender and a, and a top guy in the in that division. Uh, and then uh, the year after the Liddell fight, you have the, the ill-fated win over David Heath, in which you, you held on to that anaconda choke after Heath had tapped. And you said afterwards that he had disrespected you, so you were teaching him a lesson. And you know, the Dana and the guys didn't like that. They end up re- releasing you. Look, looking back, I just want to ask you quickly about that. Looking back, is that something you, you wish you'd handled differently or, or do you still feel like uh, he th- deserved the lesson and for let calling you mf Let me tell something about my past. Sure. <laughs> I had a lot of things that I usually do differently, but the things that I did in the past, they make it the person that I am today. That I'm not changed the person that I am today. So... Maybe I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> so it, it helped it helped you become who you are. So you exactly. you, you take that from it. Yeah, but so I you're afraid if you change that, maybe big, you wouldn't be. But that I can say that I this was a really big mistake. 
okay. that, that okay. I can be myself, that I clear myself now, was a really big mistake that I shouldn't do in that time. I was there. I was let my emotion talk above my reason. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's like I said, you you that you don't learn unless you make mistakes. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, after that, you, you signed actually. Sometimes a mistake can get you kicked out. <laughs> Sometimes back <laughs> yeah. on chance, like I didn't have on the strike force. Right. Right. Yeah. It did open other doors and, you know, you probably wouldn't have gone to strike force if you hadn't have done that. So, so who knows, but uh, you actually end up signing with a few different promotions, not just strike force and, and, but you do get announced at the, uh, the first playboy mansion show and you did a little bit of commentary there. You had some injury issues uh, and then you end up facing Bobby Southworth for the light heavyweight championship in the main event of their destruction event. And that's, that's what I, I want to spend a few minutes on. Uh, Southworth was known as a grinder at this point. We did have the internet. So I'm curious, uh, did you get to kind of study up on Southworth and, no. and how did you feel like you matched up with him? No, I haven't zero studying about him at the time. Um, I was just training. I was in a run with a few, uh, like you said, I had a, I had a not, I had, I was fighting affliction at the time as well. And I had to fight him and I was just training, you know, right at the time I was just, I was just a rolling stone pretty much. I just tried okay. to, okay. to rolling above, uh, on top of everyone. I didn't really do this for this person, do that for the person. I honestly. Okay. Well, I mean, Southworth, like I said, it was really known as a, a grinder and uh, you know, you during the fight itself, lots of clinching, um, Southworth did get a takedown early on. You end up cutting Southworth over the eye with a very solid left elbow, and it was a deep cut. And and you know the referee John McCarthy jumps in, takes a look at the at the cut, wants it looked at. Did you did you think it was over? You you I, I remember watching the fight, and you seemed to kind of be pointing at like you kind of knew that that was a big deal. Did you did you think the the cut was deep My enough friend. that that was going to be the end of it? <laughs> I could have saw his brain through the cut. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> they were supposed to stop. I would stop anyway because that would be too much. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty nasty. It was definitely nasty. And Southworth is uh, a great man, great fighter, and he held the title for against for a while. Correct? I'm not. That's wrong. right. Yeah, that's right. He had he held. And the title he's a good, a good sportsman. He has a good sportsmanship. I think mm-hmm. last to talk good about. Bob Southward. That time on that day, I was the person that hit the strike in the right spot, in the right position, and then I won. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is in a fight. Yeah, I mean, there, there, I, there's not a ton to break down because, like I said, you got the takedown, you guys clinched a lot, and then you land that elbow, mm. and that the the doctor actually let the round finish. I don't know if you remember that, but they he actually let it let it go for it was like ten seconds. And then stop the fight in between rounds, which earned you the title. So, you know, this is a major title in a major organization. How did you feel winning the belt A and B? Do you, you know, is it, does it mean anything less to you because it came on, you know, a, a TKO where the ref stopped it kind of anticlimactic. You didn't get to choke him out or your knock him out or well, anything like that. Does that change it no, all for you? Or does it feel no, just as good? Actually, I won a few fights like that i mean i don't know if i did i i don't remember but my goal is to to open wounds so the, the referee 
you're supposed to stop the TKO and, T and TK and submission for me. It's the same thing. Okay. It's, uh, it's the same feeling. You know, it's uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's bad for the person that loses, though, because right. you want to fight, but you cannot fight because it's something that happens. Yeah. Or maybe you broke your arm, or you broke in your legs, or you you know you open. You want sometimes the person wants to fight, and he cannot fight because uh, the referee protects. The, it's bad for the person that loses, not the yeah. person. That you know, I don't know if you know this, but Southworth, um, two fights before his fight with you, he had lost to this guy Anthony Ruiz by a same thing. He got cut near the eye and the ref stopped it and, and he wanted to keep going, but the ref wouldn't let him. And then they rematched and Southworth won by decision, but his fight with you, that was his first fight after fighting those two, they're the same guy twice in a row. And one of them, he'd lost the exact right. same way that he lost to you TKO Rhea cut. So some guys, as you know, there's some fighters that they build up that scar tissue and they're just, you know, it's easy yeah. to cut them, you know, and Bobby just seemed to be well, one of those guys. Has a problem too. Yeah, fighters. yeah, until he started. Pedro on the back of the days. He has a yep. problem yeah. with his eyebrow that he had to go through yep. uh, some plastic surgeries. And the, and and I it's just like a it's like a glass chain, pretty much, you know. Mm. Uh, I can say yeah. that because I think it's more fixable than glass chain, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, you can't get surgery yeah, on your chin to, not, to, make, goes to, to your make brain. It but it's but it's kind of kind of the same thing, you know. After you start cutting over and over, and your skin gets soft in this spot. Yeah, well, he it seemed like Bobby was one of those guys, and I, man, I remember his. Oh, he man, he he just you. It felt like you breathed on him later on in his career, and it would just start bleeding from the from the eyebrow. You know, there's just some guys that are just yeah, like that, some guys so. are yeah, they're bleeding um, a lot. I mean, not just the bleed. I mean, <laughs> the just skin gets stuffed in some spot because it's after you cut one time and you cut the second time in the same spot, the third time in the same spot, you need to and and get stitches and stuff. You need to get a, um, I think some or uh, cadaver skin or something in a place because it's the same. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know surgeon plastic plastic surgeon though, but it's it's pretty hard to to, to heal for a while yeah all right well uh you know regardless of how it happened you you did win the title and and i i assume so that we we actually didn't really touch on that but it it felt i assume that it felt good getting that nice yeah. big gold belt around well, your of waist. course i was a uh, strike for this group major organization and no better no more than me the thing that i would like to say about strike for the most is the strike force has a great staff people to work hmm. and for us as a fighter and for us as a fighter it's very important to have someone else that you know that can take care of us they they know what we need and they are respectful more than anything you know sometimes events cannot provide what they can provide you no know, or you expect to be provided but being respect is more very important and Scott, he knows how to deal with the fighters. I think he has Japanese philosophy. He need been yep. a fan, I don't know. But he knows how we feel. He knows how we have to be treated. And I was very happy to be part of the of this 
no, this event and be a champion in strike force. Not just because the event is great, just because the, uh, I was very happy to fight for Scott Cole. Yeah, Scott's a, a great guy. He's not, uh... not flattering, not flattering. <laughs> because he's a who's in a, who's is on the who is in the on the business know what I'm talking about. Well, there's yeah, there's I mean. <laughs> there scott coker is he's well i i, I responded to the earlier part you said he's part korean and uh he was raised in a traditional martial arts so i think it makes him value the fighter and really take care of the fighters and i think that's that's essentially what you're saying okay that's right that's right yeah well um you end up fighting for strike force several more times you lost your title to gegard musassi who's one of the greats um you got a decision went over robbie lawler which was a big deal and you're one of only six fighters to hold the Strike Force 205 pound title, so that's a that's a really big deal. That's a really big thing for you to hang your hat on, you know. And that's I, I, I assume that means a lot to you and and in, in, in your career, not just on that night, but in in your career. Oh man, yes. Um, I'm telling you, I can say that you know, my fight against Rob Lawler was my last good run. My last good fight that I had, and after this was just downhill. <laughs> some fights and some training, but I think that was the last one. By I think there was a you know every fight is a every fight that you have is a chapter of the book that you're writing, and that chapter I was training with Fabrizio. I don't know if you remember, but that event was against. Rob Lawler was Wednesday, and Fabrizio fought against against uh, Fedor on Friday, Saturday. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was there. I was there when when he fought Fedor. I was there so, cage side when he tapped him so out. You no, know, we trained together for one pretty much one same week event, and we had the same vibe and the same atmosphere. I helped him very much against Fedor. I knew how Fedor was. I fought Fedor. Yeah. But, yeah. You no. Know, I helped him a lot to fight against Fedor. And after he he shocked the world with the victory. And myself with my victory against Rob Lawler too was a tremendous accomplishment for both of us. Awesome. Well, that's I like I said, it was uh you, you've had a very, very good career. You did fight a couple more times um before retiring in 2013. Looking back now, I mean you mentioned earlier, you know, you, you have things that you may want to go back and you would do differently, but you're always kind of worried about how would that change you as a person? Um, looking back now, how do you feel about your fighting career? I mean, you mentioned kind of being a bit of a rolling stone at times. Do you think you, you wish you'd been a little more focused or, or are you happy with the way things turned out? Definitely. I mean, I think everyone else on the planet, any, any mature adults, when they look in the past, would do something differently to, to change stuff. Um, absolutely. I, I, the reason that the reason that people fighting now is a totally different reason that you fought in the past, that I fought in the past, and, and I think meaning has a lot, a lot to do with the successful in people in career. And my reasons was the different, the piece, I like I see the people the reason today, and we are, we are, I can see that we are more romantic. Can I say that? We're more romantic time, sure. time, time. <laughs> yeah. And when you're, yeah, 
so romantic time that means they use a lot of emotion so more i use passion a, how about how about the word passion more passion back then yes passion 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 make you do bad things too sometimes <laughs> <laughs> it can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on how yes, it's used. <laughs> exactly. sometimes they make you blind and and then that's what happened um I would, of course, I would change a lot of things. I would change behave that I was having in the past, regardless of my social life. But that's what it is. Okay. All right. Well, I, we, we got just a couple more questions. You've been very gracious with your time here. Um, you gave an interview in 2019. You talked about some of the consequences of fighting. You had some, been having some issues with balance, you know, sight in your left eye and that sort of thing. How are you? How are you coping? How are you feeling these days? Or are you doing better? Or what's what's going on with your health at this point? I lost my left eye uh, because the fight um, was. Uh, I had a fourteen surgeries, um, total that I have to me, uh, but that was uh, just I, I knew. I mean, that one thing that I knew that would happen. Not here and whining, and, and about what happened. I just let you know what's happening. It's not something that, no, no, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that. I just let you know that and a lot of people know that if you want to be a, <laughs> a fighter, you're going to have a scar tissues in the future. <laughs> That's what I have, scar tissues in, right now. And I have um, my, I lost my left side and a lot of my knees are trousers. Orthotritis is being affected me very bad on my knees. Not something that I cannot repair, you know, later on with a knee replacement. But definitely uh, on the, my head is being, being really different though. My balance is being really damaged and memory loss is being happening more constantly now. And like example now, you're talking about Rob Lawler. Mm-hmm. I even thought it was fucking Rob Lawler and Strike Force. Mm. As you talk now, it's a big memory though. Mm. Then, then, then I remember you came back, but I mean, sad. I just told you, I sort of like tried to find myself on that huh. situation. Also, yeah, sometimes um, I get some spike of depression during the month. There's something that I cannot control. I mean, right now it's kind of hard to say when if you say that I'm depressed. I think probably 70% of the planet is a little depressed right now. So that's something that that I cannot, it's not like everyone else. I can I can deal with my problems so far. But um taking punch in the head is definitely something that you like it or not, you're gonna have a you're gonna have to pay the debts in the future. Yeah. There's a price to pay, and it's it's to pay. It's I just, my, yeah, go that, ahead. I don't, I don't, I don't state, I don't alarm people. I don't uh, making propaganda against fight. You know, I don't make because I think everything has a downside. You know, if my father was a scuba diver, and a scuba diver, no, a scuba welder. If you know, if you know what it is, he's a, a welder in a platform deep in the ocean. I was going to say, I, I just assume you weld yeah. underwater. Yeah. So he has to really swim deep in the water. Then, no, here's the work he has to do. And 
damage his body? Yes, that's the thing he has to do. If you work in the mines, uh, you know, you're gonna have a damage in your homes, but you gotta work, you gotta do what you gotta do because you choose to do Sometimes they push you to do that. Or in my, chase, in my case, I was choose to be a fighter. <laughs> so it's nothing that I, I was put in there to fight it without knowing my risk. Well, it's something I try to keep in mind with, you know, fighters that I have so much respect for you get for what you guys do because you put so much on the line. And, you know, like we said earlier, there's a price to be paid. And for some people, the, the debt's a little more than others. Um, you know, obviously with fears of CTE and all that stuff, I mean, you know, here's hopes and prayers that there's breakthroughs in, in treatment and all that sort of thing. And um, we can take care of our, you know, these athletes that have uh, given so much of their bodies you know, over the years, including yourself, obviously. So, um, well, I appreciate you opening up and sharing about that. I, I want to ask one more question, but um, before we do that, you just, you run Babalu's Iron Gym, which is in Cerritos, California, which can be found online at babalubbjj.com. Uh, you're also on Instagram and Twitter at Babalu's Iron Gym. Uh, anything else that you're involved in that you, you wanted to mention or that you want to promote to the listeners? Well, uh, no, I mean, uh, it's funny, you know, um, after, uh, after this, my art career and you know, being a fighter, being out there, right now my main focus is, uh, is uh, on kids. I have a lot of kids that are in training now in jiu-jitsu, and I think the jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu itself, and the martial arts itself, is a big, big character changer for the kids. You know, if you play and play safe and play well, and jiu-jitsu itself is a great martial arts they can play without, no, have the sense of being win and have true martial arts, true combat experience when you're in a jiu-jitsu match. And it's still being safe without, no, having any more high damage. And I really think that a man, a man, like no Socrates, the philosopher, Greek Socrates. Yep. So, so Socrates. Yep. When a man is born, he has to work, raising a kid, and fight, <laughs> and that's what you have to do. I think a, a fight itself can build a character. Any human beings in a very controlled environment. We in, right now, kids have been lacking of experience on human, human interaction and being put in to have a partnership. And sometimes people think, you know, why they, 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 they give a lot of values for the fights because you do a lot of things that people, not normal people, the people that not to choose to fight, not to do it. But we choose to fight, we choose to be in a bad spot. And this situation makes us using the experience they have inside over there on the four or five minutes or three minutes come back against someone else, you take the experience into your life, database life. So they make the kids that haven't been pushed, they haven't been playing. I know if you know, they're not allowed people, kids playing dodgeball in schools in those days anymore. They're not allowed the kids to, you know, to interact against each other anymore because everything is too hard, too harsh, too, or too harmful to the kids. Right, right. But inside the gym, you know, you push, you punch, you kick on friendly and controlled environment. And without, you know, compromise your health or compromise your your well-being, 
over there you're being spotted sometimes and you have a bigger kid, you know, 12 years old on top of the kid and it has to figure out a way to get out of the mountain without freaking out, without screaming because he knows that if he doesn't do that, you know, he's going to he's going to tap and and we teach a way the kids to bring the confidence in that way little by little we teach the little kids we teach the big kids also to respect the little kids the little kids overcome the big kids and and inside we don't have races we don't have genders everybody's equal i think uh, inside the martial arts is a, is a great environment for and it sports itself a great environment to develop the kid the kid's character I don't know if you understand me well. Yeah, no, I totally understand what you're saying. I, I I got two little ones. I want them involved in sports because it teaches them to deal with adversity. It teaches them yeah. to deal with overcoming challenges and all that stuff. So I, I, I'm completely on board with what you're saying. Yeah. As you, sports is a, is it, um, a virtue. Is there something that we don't speak? You know, I cannot teach a person being kicked. Cure. Uh, I I cannot say, son, you need to be courageous to cross the street. If I don't hold, grab his hands and walk with me a few times, you know, and tell him, no, this is safe. You have just to look to the right and to the left. You show them the way you can be a good citizen without having fear. Well, I, I think that's a good spot to, to end the, the interview. Bob Lou, absolute legend in our sport. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us on Inside the Hexagon today. Thank you very much to have me tonight. All right. I want to thank my very special guest, Bob Lou Sobral, for taking the time to join us for today's show. And I especially want to thank him for being so open and honest with us. I really appreciate him taking the time and, again, really opening up about his career, about his, you know, his actions, some of the things that he regrets that he's done, uh, and then, of course, what his physical condition is now. Again, I really appreciate that. That is, as we, as we publish this, that is a very big discussion going on in MMA. Uh, I don't know if you've taken the time to look at the MMA fighting article on uh, Spencer the King Fisher, but if you haven't, I re- highly recommend you Google it. It's very long, but it's very, very good. It's got a little video embedded in it as well, so it's definitely worth checking out. So this is timely, uh, but I, again, I, I appreciate Bob Lou taking the time to, to join us. I also appreciate you taking the time to download this show. Uh, again, if you haven't already, make sure you follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at the Hexagon Pod. Constantly putting out content on there. We would love uh, for you to follow us. Also, would love to hear from you. You can reach me at phil at insidethehexagon.com would love to get your direct feedback on the show what you think about it what you'd like to see more of what you'd like to or hear more of and what you'd like to hear less of uh, but i would love to just get your thoughts and of course i would love to get your ratings and reviews uh spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you catch this show i, I appreciate it if you would take the time to rate and review the show Looking ahead, we are going to finally, finally enter into the so-called Showtime era for Strike Force. This is in the in early 2009. Strike Force acquired the assets of Elite XC, and as part of that, they also got a deal with Showtime and CBS. And so, Strike Force has the good fortune of being able to uh, add to its ranks with over 40 fighters. There's tons of new names. Uh, Kimbo Slice actually is is signed with the promotion, although he never fights for the promotion. Uh, we also see Chris Cyborg finally make her Strike Force debut. Nick Diaz, uh, Robbie Lawler, Jake Shields. I mean, Gina Carano. There are just so many names 
that are going to be added to the the Strike Force ranks, uh, and we're going to start seeing them fight immediately. The first card that we're going to cover is Shamrock versus Diaz. Sadly, this is the last fight in the legendary career of Frank Shamrock, uh, but it's an incredible fight with him and Nick Diaz. We also see uh, uh, just a barn burner of a match between Scott Hands of Steel Smith and Benji Razor Raddick. That's a that's an amazing fight. Brett Rogers makes his Strike Force debut and really makes a statement. Chris Cyborg makes her debut and absolutely makes a statement. There, uh, there's just so much to get to. Gilbert Melendez takes on Rodrigo Dom for a for the interim Strike Force lightweight title. So it's just a packed, packed card. So I'm very much looking forward to getting uh, getting into that. And then after that. We're going to be interviewing Frank Shamrock. He's going to be the first guest to come back on the show for a second time, and we're going to talk about his final fight with Nick Diaz, the very, very interesting buildup to that fight and the fallout as well. So I'm looking forward to reconnecting with Mr. Shamrock. But I hope that you are enjoying what we're putting out. Appreciate you taking the time to download and listen to this show. Appreciate all the support. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy. We will see you soon. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500, on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcasts. 